It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. You're tuned into Christian Questions. Join the conversation now on air or online at ChristianQuestions.com and download our app by searching for Christian Questions Radio. Here's Rick and Jonathan. C.S. Lewis once said, There are two kinds of people, those who say to God, Thy will be done, and those to whom God says, All right then, have it your way. (laughs) Good evening, (laughs) I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. And I'm Jonathan, and that different perspective has its basis in three things. Godly principles, family values, honest dialogue, always done in a politically free zone. Folks, thanks for joining us tonight. This is a call-in format. We do happen to be caller-friendly, so let's get started. Good evening, Jonathan. What is going on tonight? Good evening, Rick. We have quite the question this evening, and that is, who is God? Oh, great. There's a question that we're going to be able to answer in two hours, right? Not. (laughs) (laughs) Our theme text is found in Psalms chapter 90, verse 2. Behold, the mountains were born, or you gave birth to the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting. You are God. All right. So the question is, who is God? Defining God is a monumental task. And I don't know why we're even trying to do it, but we're going to try in a very small way this evening to do that. The measure of its difficulty, the measure of the difficulty of defining God is such that very few ever follow through with it. For the world is overrun with contradictory myths, stories, and legends about the nature and the purposes of God. So many stories, so little truth. Defining God requires us to look into things that are beyond our natural sight. It requires us to grab hold of things that are beyond our physical reach, and it requires us to believe in things that are beyond our earthly capacity. To know who God is means we would know his character. It means we would know his mind, and it means we would know what drives him. So, can we know these things? Can we know God's heart and his mind? Can we know God's plans and his purposes? And will knowing God help us to better know ourselves? So, Jonathan, the question for tonight is, who is God? And again, I, I, this kind of program scares me to death. <laughs> well, Rick, it, it's a, a tough question because there's so many ways that you can answer it. And we only have two hours this evening to try to just scratch the surface. And that's really what we want to do. We want to scratch the surface on this. There is so much to defining God. And I know, folks, that as you're, you're listening and we're going to go through this, you're going to say, well, why don't you say this? Why don't you say this? Because there's too much to say. That's the answer. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, Jonathan, let's get started by going to uh, a soundbite from whoisgodtruthproject.cc. And they're asking a very legitimate clear question as we are asking tonight. So here's a soundbite just to get us started. A lot of people believe in God, whether that's a specific view of God or some vague understanding of a higher power. Many people know that there's something or someone out there that is bigger than themselves. People look at the massiveness of our universe or the complexity of creation. And many come to a similar conclusion. 
there must be a God. For these people, the question isn't, is there a God? It's, who is God? So we come up with this stereotype of who we think God is. Is he really this old guy with a white beard in space with a deep voice just throwing down the old lightning bolt whenever he feels like it? So, you know, it's kind of interesting because there are many stereotypes when it comes to trying to define who God is. And one of them is the old man with the long, flowing white hair. Kind of looks like Gandalf, you know? <laughs> yeah, I knew you were thinking that. <laughs> but it's not. It's bigger. It's, it's more powerful. It's, it's more comprehensive. It's more far-reaching. So what we want to do tonight is, is try to begin to find a way to get beyond the stereotypes and really focus in on what we know of God through Scripture that makes God tick. See, good. And Rick, uh, several weeks ago, we talked about who is Satan. Right, yes. So this is a great comparison, uh, a compare and contrast between that study and this study. So the first point that we have to make, or the first question is, are Satan and God opposites? Ooh, interesting question. Because, again, that's one of the visions that so many of us have of God. God is is, is standing on the right side, and Satan is standing on the other side, and God and Satan are battling it out. And maybe they're throwing lightning bolts at each other, or whatever it is you think they're doing, but there's this epic, heavenly battle going on. The question is, is that really true? Are God and Satan opposites? And uh, I'm going to say I'm going to give the answer right right now, and then we're going to go through the scriptures to prove it. All right, Jonathan, I don't think God and Satan are opposites. So the answer I think is no, they're not. So we, I agree. Okay, so but now now that doesn't sound right because God is all that's good, Satan represents all that's evil. So aren't those two things opposites? Yes, they, they are. are. But are God and Satan opposites? No. <laughs> All right, Lucy, you got a lot of explaining to do. <laughs> so let's look at a simple description of God. Again, let's go back to our theme text, Psalm chapter 90, verse 2. Before the mountains were born, or you gave birth to the earth and to the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. So this is, is, is powerful in terms of giving us a sense of who God is. Before the mountains were born, before you gave birth to the earth and the world. And, and remember, in Scripture, when it talks about the earth, we're talking about more of the physical realm. When it talks about the world, we're talking about the, the governing realm that surrounds the earth. So before you started all of that, from everlasting, so go back to an everlasting point in time. Which, which means perpetual existence, no beginning. Right. <laughs> and right there and right then, you, you, go, you, you, you start to go there and you think, wait a minute, I can't even get my head around that. I know. That's crazy. You know, I can understand something that you say, okay, it's going to go on and it's never going to end. I get that. But if you try to go backwards and say, no beginning, sorry, I'm lost. It's too big for me. It's, it's too, and, and really, the bottom line is, and, and here's a mind-bending thought, God was there before time was there. Wow. So, <laughs> so this gives us a sense of the magnitude of God. So, folks, we're looking at the question, who is God? We're starting with a simple scripture from Psalm 90, verse 2. We're going to go back to Psalm 90 throughout the entire program. But the first point is really simple. Everlasting. 
Everlasting to everlasting, that means perpetual, non-ending existence. Okay, so we've got that as a basis for understanding God himself. Now let's go to Satan, because the question is right now, are God and Satan opposites? And you and I both said, no, they're not. Why do we say that? Well, the next uh, verses, we're going to go to Ezekiel 28, verses 11 to 17, reveal a lot of Lucifer's role in heaven as compared to God's role. Now, Lucifer and Satan are the same guy. That's right. Okay, so if we say Lucifer, we mean Satan. If we say Satan, we mean Lucifer. It means the same being. So Ezekiel 28, 11 to 17, we're going to sort of drop in on these verses. And these are a, a prophetic utterance of what it looked like way back. Thus says the Lord God, you had the seal of perfection full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. So in this verse, uh, you know, the, the, the verse is actually talking about physically the king, uh, the king of Tyre, I think. Uh, but this is a prophetic utterance about Satan, Lucifer. And it really describes Lucifer in a very high and lofty manner, doesn't it? He was a perfect angelic being. Full of... And very special. And that's the thing. He wasn't just your... It sounds weird to say. He wasn't your average run-of-the-mill <laughs> angel. was average run-of-the-mill, you know, uh, uh, son of God in heaven. He was very high up in the ranks of those sons of God in heaven. So we have the word of God describing the path of Lucifer or Satan next. Okay, you had everything going for you. That's really what you, you, you started out with. What happens next? Uh, we're in Ezekiel chapter 28, verses 13 and 14. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. On the day that you were created, they were prepared. You were the anointed cherub who covers and I placed you there. So it's describing Lucifer or Satan, and it's saying that you were an anointed cherub and so forth. But there's some very specific phrasing in this verse that, that's important, Jonathan. What is it? Oh, for sure, Rick. On that day that you were created. Ah, wait, God had no beginning. Everlasting to everlasting. Lucifer, there was a pinpoint date you are made alive. Okay, so on the day that you were created, and then it says afterwards you, you were the anointed cherub, like you said, very special, but what's the next phraseology that gives us a sense of the difference between God and Satan? Well, I placed you there, so I'm in charge, and I put you over this work. Okay, so so far, everlasting to everlasting versus you were created. Right. And big then, difference. Right, big difference there. And then we have the difference of, I put you in a very certain place. Yeah. So It was a special, important position over the Garden of Eden. Right. But God put him there. Right. So God gave the privilege of oversight to this physical creation on this planet Earth to one of his highest and most respected creations. God made Lucifer. God made him. So Lucifer was always subservient to God as he was a creation of God. So right there you get a sense that there is not an equality of any kind. No, the, we're, we're seeing how them being opposites, it's not meshing. Right, right, because one is less than the other. Well, these verses continue to describe this important difference. And we're going we're gonna to take this segment on this difference. You think, well, why are you taking all this time? Because 
there is a thought out there in the world that God and Satan are having this great big fight. As equals. Right. And it just isn't true. It just isn't true. As, well, I'll, I'll, I'll hold that next thought till after we get through a little bit more. So let's get back to Ezekiel chapter 28. Uh, we're in the middle of verse 14, I believe. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked in the midst of the stones of fire. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created until unrighteousness was found in you. All right. So again, Jonathan, the phraseology that brings out this very important point of the differences in stature between God and Lucifer. Well, he was on the holy mountain of God. That was God's mountain. Okay. Okay. (laughs) And see, that is such an important point. A mountain in Scripture is a symbol of government. So when it says you were on the holy mountain of God, it's saying that you were essentially appointed to be part of a governing group that God put together. So it was God's choice, God's government, and he allowed you to be a part of it. And it continued, Rick, he was blameless the day he was created. Again, a confirmation. He was a created being from God. All right. Now, let, let's take a moment here because this gets into one of those questions that for, for, for those who may be listening who are like, you know, okay, he's perfect and you're saying how great he is. And he says, but then there was unrighteousness found in you. How could God have created something with unrighteousness in it? Good question. That and, is. And the answer is God didn't create something with unrighteousness in it. He didn't. What he created was a perfect being in Lucifer whom he gave the privilege of thought, of decision, just like he gave to the rest of the sons of God in in heaven. Hey, he also gave that to us, free free choice. Right, and look where that got us incidentally. (laughs) We'll get to that in a little bit. But see, God did not create... The, 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 the wrong that grew in Lucifer. Lucifer chose to follow that thought pattern, which brought him to a very, very different place, brought him to a point where he was very much at odds with God. So one of those who governed and led, again, like you kept saying, very, very privileged. Yes. Blameless. He was blameless, it says, until he reached beyond his station, until he decided that he was going to be higher or bigger or better than he was appointed and meant to be. He wanted to do it his way. And so often that's how we all get into trouble. Want to do it my way. Okay, let's go to verse 16. By the abundance of your trade, you were internally filled with violence and you sinned. So you go from being uh, blameless to having unrighteousness found in you, to now you are internally filled with violence. So you are filled with that which is against God, and sin happens. See, Lucifer did not keep the power and honor of the position that he was given within the heavenly host in a God-fearing way, but he focused on what he was given rather than who gave it to him. And he, selfishness, Rick. And, it, it all comes down to selfishness. And that can happen to the best of God's creations because God gave his creations the ability to think and to choose. And you say, well, why would God do that? Because he wanted a creation that could think and could choose. 
rather than something that is just purely running by instinct, something higher than that. So you've got this, 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 this difference between God and Satan. So now, let's go again. We're in, in Ezekiel chapter 28, uh, verses 16 and 17. Therefore, I have cast you as profane from the mountain of God, and I have destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Okay, so I, you, I have cast you as profane. What does that mean? Rick, it means dissolved. <laughs> Therefore, I have cast you as dissolved from the mountain of God. You're out of here. <laughs> right, because it's God's mountain, not yours. I have destroyed you, O covering cherub. And then verse 17. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom by reason of your splendor. So you had so much going for you, and yet you couldn't, you couldn't resist trying to be bigger and better. You know what that reminds me of, Jonathan, just very, very quickly? It reminds what? me of athletes and steroids. Oh. <laughs> be, I, you know what? I, I, everybody knows I'm a, I'm a New York Yankees fan. Alex Rodriguez was one of the most gifted athletes in the sport of baseball to ever live. And he had all this going for him, but he couldn't stand just being who he was. He had to try to be bigger and better. And he messed everything up for himself and for his team. It was a shameful thing, but it's the same thing that happened in, in, in the heavenlies. So, given authority, beauty, wisdom, and splendor, and privilege, Lucifer chose to take credit for all of it and demand more. So God and Satan are not opposites. God is higher. God is greater. And Lucifer, or Satan's very existence, was only there by the creativity and the power of God. Satan is opposed to God, but Satan is not God's opposite. And Rick, God's creation in the angelic realm is mortal. Yes. God is immortal. Right. There is a big difference. There's a massive difference that. between those two. There is a massive difference between those two. God is higher. They're not opposites. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject, who is God? Coming up, how strong is the power of God? What does his power mean to us? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. See videos, hear past shows, and talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Welcome back. Our subject for today, who is God? We're live Monday evening from 8 to 10 Eastern, and that means we're on right now. Join our conversation by calling 866-985-4255. That's 866 866- 985 for all, or you can message us on your app. Christian Questions, a weekly habit that's good for you. Thanks for tuning us in every Monday evening. Join our conversation any day and any time at ChristianQuestions.com. So, Jonathan, in the uh, first segment, we were talking about uh, the... Uh, the difference between God and Satan. They are not opposites. God is higher. There's not a battle between God and Satan going on. Not at all. Satan is trying to beat up on God, and God is pretty much just letting him go. At any time when it's appropriate, God will squash him. It just That's just the way it is. <laughs> there is no battle between God and Satan. They're not fighting over this world. God allows it because he is so much more powerful. 
And it's an eternal lesson for the angelic right. realm and for humankind Absolutely. to see the destruction of disobedience of God versus loving God and being in harmony with him. And that's part of trying to define who God is, is realizing the difference. There's not some big spiritual battle. No, no, no. Satan's fighting, fighting, fighting. God is letting him. That's that's really the way it is. So so Jonathan, let's go let's go to a, a very different approach on this, you know, because when we want to define God, we want to do it with reverence and with excitement and with scripture and with personal experience and all of those things. But there are those who just think we're full of nonsense. There are those who believe that those of us who believe are just stupid. I mean, just to be blunt. Going to go to a um a uh, a YouTube video from the scathing atheist. Now that should tell you something. Okay. <laughs> <It does. laughs> the scathing atheist. Just who is this God person? His name is Noah uh, Lagans, and uh, so he's going to do a little bit of ranting, and we're going to listen to his rant about uh, who is this God person. And there's a question that Adams poses in this book that's been stuck in my craw for two dozen years. Just who is this God person anyway? You'd think that in 5,000 years of trying, the Abrahamic faiths would have come up with a concise definition, or if not concise, at least a consistent one. But as we all know, if you ask 20 Christians to define God, you'll get 20 different definitions. Sure, you'll get a few commonalities, but it'll be pretty clear pretty quickly that all these Christians are worshiping a different guy. And none of them, none of the Christians, none of the Jews, and none of the Muslims are worshiping the guy from the Bible. The all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving, moral, caring, forgiving, judicious, benevolent dude they talk about might make a cameo at some point. Nowhere to be found in the first four books. Okay, so he's uh, laying down the gauntlet there, isn't he? <laughs> he is. You know, and, uh, to to lower God to a person uh, is kind of well, you know, crazy. And, he's and, a being, not well, a person and that that fulfills the mythology that surrounds god though see there's a lot of myths and a lot of stories but you know he brings up interesting points he says you know after five thousand years you'd think you'd come to a a, a a solid conclusion about this and a lot of us would look at that and say well yeah why isn't there a solid conclusion and the answer is really simple because god is allowing there to not be a solid conclusion he's allowing satan to be fighting and fighting and fighting as god watches so that we can learn the lesson of sin so he's allowing misunderstanding to prevail. He allows it to happen. Could God stop it? Of course he could. Will he stop it? No. Not until he's ready. And not a second before that. So interesting. We'll come back to our scathing atheist later on. We actually had to censor a few of the later ones because he really gets scathing. <laughs> <laughs> so, so to help us define God, we, we're going to use the 90th Psalm. Psalm 90 verse 2 is our theme scripture. We're going to break it down into four sections each furthering our understanding of God. So we're going to start with Psalm 90, uh, verses 1 through 6 in this segment. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. All right. So you have been our dwelling place in all generations. When you look at that, you can say, well, that sounds nice. That sounds poetic. But there's more to it than just nice and poetic. There's, there's fact Behind that, because God was the original dwelling place of mankind. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 1, verses 27 and 28. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, 
and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So God created mankind in his image. When we have the account of creation in Genesis, you notice that God creates this and God creates that. But when it comes to mankind, that's the only part of the creation that's spoken of as being in his image. And that means so much, Rick. Yeah, it does. It doesn't mean in like a person, like he's a person and he created us as people. How about free moral thinking? Uh, things that cr we can create things right. ourselves right. as God creates. And he gave mankind dominion over the rest of the earth, the way God has dominion over his other creations. Good point. So there's this... There's this imagery that we, we see that when, when Psalm 90 verse 1 says, you have been our dwelling place in all generations, you start with the very first generation, and the description is not only a dwelling place, but we're supposed to mirror what God does. Now, that's a tall order for a sinful world. It certainly is. And, and it, cannot, it cannot be fulfilled, obviously, in this world, but that gives us at least a beginning. So humanity was created to be on earth and to be in the presence of God. That's what we were created for. That was the original objective. That was the original plan. Have a human creation, a physical creation that God could have, um, have dominion over that planet and have a, a, a relationship with him. I mean, that's a beautiful thing for a creator to be thinking of. And it must have been amazing for the angelic realm to see this come into place into being. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It really must have been quite the thing. Like, what is he doing? And how, how is he making them? You're kidding. Can I help? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Genesis, uh, uh, let's go to Genesis chapter 2, verse 8. The Lord God planted a garden toward the east in Eden, and there he placed the man whom he had formed. So here is where we're going to begin to focus on the first major attribute of the character of God. We're going to focus on four attributes through this program. We're going to take one for each segment as we go through the, the middle four segments. And the attribute here is shown in the fact that God uh, planted this garden in Eden. He placed man whom he had formed. He created man in his image. God custom made man's home. What is this showing us, Jonathan, in, in terms of God? It's God's power. And can you imagine every detail of his creation? He put his power into forming everything. And, and Rick, think about this. Every detail like air, water, soil, vegetables, fruit, meat, grains. How about the mountains, the valleys, the sun, moon, and stars? How about night, morning, and afternoon? Summer, winter, spring, and fall. All creatures can produce more of its kind. Yeah, he took good care of us. So you want to add a detail or two? Geez. <laughs> you know, the, the idea is there is incredible power and, 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 the, and the planning and the, the power to make that come to be. And, and you know, I, folks, I want to refer you to the program we did with, uh, with our friend David Stein uh, this past summer about, uh, you know, proving the existence of God. You go back to that program to get a, a sense of the inspiration of the magnitude of the power and the planning that would have gone into such a creation. So let, let's take a moment here, Jonathan. Let's go to another soundbite. Now, remember the last one was the scathing atheist. Yes. Would you say he was a happy man? No. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, he wasn't. So let's go to people who might have been be a little happier 
this was a YouTube video, uh, Who is God? When asked who God is, these kids had amazing answers. So their grade school children asked, Who is God? Who is God? Um, somebody who um, created our world. And um, created us. He is a father, and he help, and and he's my and he's my father. Can you tell me who God is? Jesus is father. Um, the person who created the world. I wish that uh, background noise wasn't there, but uh, couldn't do anything about that. But, you know, you get a sense of the, of the innocence and the magnitude of God through the voice of a child. And I think that really helps us to um, see uh, what God is made of. When you see the power behind his creation like we were talking about, and then you hear the voices of children acknowledging his fatherhood. We'd love to talk to you right now. We're live. Call us at 866-985-FOR-ALL. That's 866-985-4255. Or leave us a comment at ChristianQuestions.com. All right. So we're, we're focusing on the power of God in this particular segment. And as we go through this, we're, we're looking at Psalm chapter 90, verses 1 through 6, and focusing on on God's power as one of the attributes, one of the things that helps us understand just who God is. So Psalm 90, let's go to verse 2. Before the mountains were born, or you gave birth to the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Now, we uh, have already talked about that. That's our theme scripture, so it keeps coming up. But what this shows us is raw, massive power. I mean, when we talked about it in the first segment, think of the implications of perpetual existence. God was there before the universe was there, which means that God exists outside of the universe. Now, try to explain that to somebody. <laughs> That's hard. <laughs> well, see, and the thing, I think it's important for us to understand the power of this being that exists outside of the universe because it is so much bigger than we can fathom. That's right. So it gives us a sense that when we try to define God, when we try to ask the question, who is God, we are in so far over our heads, we can't even begin to imagine it. So let's talk about somebody who is in over their head in Scripture as well. You're talking about Job. I am talking about Job. <laughs> you know, Job had some tough things happen. You know, God essentially uh, allowed Satan to to uh, work on Job, if you will. God allowed Satan to to uh, test Job to the very nth degree, and God said, "Just don't take his life from him, because he's a faithful, faithful man." 
Job goes through a lot of things during those tests. He has comforters come by, three comforters, which aren't very comforting. No, they're not. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 and they start, they cause him to question things. And finally, after all of this throughout the book of Job, all of these questions and these speculations and these, these, these surmisings that these comforters are giving to Job and his own surmisings, he now is being spoken to by God. In Job chapter 38, and I'll tell you, one of the hardest things of this program, Jonathan, is whittling down scriptures. Yeah. So <laughs> Job 38, we're taking pieces of verses 12 to 27, but this context is God challenging Job. Okay, Job, you think you know something. Well, uh, let, let, well wait, wait, let me, I, want, I really want to set this up. Okay. Okay, you think you know something. Let's see how much you know compared to who I am. Let me see if you can answer my questions to you about the creation that's around you. Go ahead. Have you ever in your life commanded the morning and caused the dawn to know its place, that it might take hold of the ends of the earth? Have you entered into the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have you understood the expanse of the earth? Tell me if you know all this. Have you entered the storehouses of the snow, or have you seen the storehouses of the hail? Who has cleft a channel for the flood, or a way for the thunderbolt, to bring rain on a land without people, on a desert without a man in it, to satisfy the waste and desolate land, and to make the seeds of grass to sprout? So God's power has designed and monitors the mighty powers and forces of the earth. That's what God is telling Job. He's saying, have you ever been able to do this, Job? And of course, like, and this is, talk about the ultimate rhetorical question. <laughs> yeah, talk about being humbled <laughs> yeah, very quickly. Yeah, right, right. All right, let's go back to Psalm 90. Let's go to verses 3 and 4. You turn men back into dust and say, return, O children of men, for a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it passes by. Or as a watch in the night. So when you think about that, it's talking about God in terms of eternity. And again, it's great power. A thousand years are like yesterday to you. And that reminds us of Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may freely eat, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. And that's what the, the psalm said. You know, uh, you will turn man back into dust because man is mortal, like you said. Genesis 3.19. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread till you return to the ground because from it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So when we're thinking all high and mighty, we should think about that particular scripture. And the bottom line here is God's power enforces his will and his way. His power can give life, and his power can demand death when that's needed and when it's appropriate. So, Psalm 90, let's go to verses 5 and 6. You have swept them away like a flood. They fall asleep. In the morning they are like the grass which sprouts anew. In the morning it flourishes and sprouts anew. Toward evening it fades and withers away. So, Let's go to Genesis 3.15, because now, being swept away, mankind swept away like the flood. Genesis 3.15. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, 
and you shall bruise him on the heel. So now we look at the Genesis 3.15 scripture in contrast to the Psalm scripture that says, okay, they're falling asleep like morning, like grass, uh, and then it says they sprout anew. So, it's God, so, so in the Psalm it's saying, you know, you take man's life away from him, but then it gives an idea that, but you can also give it back to him. And in Genesis, that's exactly what happened. After the curse, after the sin, God planted a seed of hope by saying that, you know, you shall, um, there'll be en- enmity between Satan and the woman, between her seed and your seed, you shall bruise him on the head, he shall, and you shall, uh, he, he shall bruise you on the head, you shall bruise him on the heel. So the bottom line here, Jonathan, is God power, God's power provides opportunity for life, even if it has been forfeit, because of sin. Now that is power. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject is, Who is God? Coming up, God's power is raw, mighty, and eternal. What keeps this awesome power focused? That's next. Listening to Christian Questions. See videos, hear past shows, and talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Welcome back. Our subject for today Who is God? We're live Monday evening from 8 to 10 Eastern, and that means we're on right now. Join our conversation by calling 866 985 4255. That's 866 985 for all or you can message us on your app. And if you'd like to write to us, you can write us at Christian Questions, P.O. Box 1837, New London, Connecticut, 06320. So, Jonathan, we uh, have spent a segment talking about God's power. We started out differentiating between God and uh, between uh, Satan and understanding that the two of them are not different, are, are very different rather. They're not opposites, but they're very different. So to get this segment started, Jonathan, we do have a call on the line, and it sounds like it's uh, Vicki from Connecticut. Good evening, Vicki. Good evening. I feel like I should be saying good morning, but it is good evening. <laughs> hey, Vic, I'd like to welcome you to Christian Questions, and um, you're our very own Vicki that's helped fill in for us several times, and you do tons of research for upcoming programs. Thanks for being with us. Thank you for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. So, Vicki, uh, our topic is who is God? So what do you think? Well, I was, <laughs> I've been listening to you guys, and, and although I think if we read in the Bible that we can find a ton of attributes belonging to God, um, from studying the Bible, from looking inside of his plan, and you guys have already started to discuss some of them, especially the power. I could sing all day long praises about the attributes of my almighty God and what he possesses. Um, But I think the attribute that I think about the most is his love. And maybe that's because I'm a woman and this is a woman's perspective, (laughs) or maybe it's because it's scriptural and we read in 1 John 4, 8, that God is love, and there's no other attribute that I know of that's quite as clear as that in a very direct scripture, except maybe First John one five, where we are told that um, God is light. 
and in him there is no darkness at all. But what a beautiful combination to be. He is love and he is light. And both of these elements are so powerful, and I am so grateful that the God I know so very intimately, whom you've already talked about being all-powerful and and um, the vastness is incredible, but he is love. And that makes me very comfortable because imagine an all-powerful being who wasn't full of love. That would be scary. Oh, that sure would. Hey, Vicki, describe for us how God shows you his love. Uh, well, when you really start studying, and I don't mean just reading the Bible, but really, really studying it and prayerfully studying it, then you begin to develop a real relationship with our Heavenly Father. And it was then that I saw his love jumping out of his plan in, in oh, so many, many ways. And um, and you added a bunch of them, um, or you, you talked about a, your list that you were talking about the mountains and all these things. And just, you know, you think about a God and his creation and being able to see in color. He could have made everything black and white. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> he made it in color just so, because he loves us. And that's really not even my original. That comes from a very dear friend of mine, but I still like it. But in the bigger picture, and you can go crazy with a whole bunch of those little, a little list of those things, but in the big picture, it's the allness of his plan um, that shows me how much he loves me. It's the, obviously that he sent his only son to die for the entire world of mankind, who wasn't exactly behaving in a manner according in his will or, you know, showing him love at all, but he still sent his son to die for um, the entire world of mankind in a very gruesome way, not even just a gentle death. Um, the fairness of his plan for all of mankind, the wisdom of his plan for all of mankind, and the power, I can't help but believe that all of these things were motivated by his love. And that's the reason that I love studying all about him and his plan, and I have made it my life goal to want to learn all that I can about who God is. So this is a great program. Well, Rick, uh, Vic, now um, I have one last question. How has knowing God changed your life? Um, knowing, knowing the incredible being that God is and um, has made me want to please him and to serve him and to do anything and anything that I can to further his plan. Um, and, you know, sometimes we'll hear, don't ask what, what is it you can do for your country? Don't ask what your country can do for you, but somebody said that. But ask what your country can I Obviously, I'm not a history person. <laughs> I am a God person. So, so my, you know, I do also hear people that say, you know, what can God do for me? And their prayers are all this litany of, of things that they want done. But for me, knowing what I know about God and loving him the way that I do, I want to know what I can do to please him. And in, through my study, the best thing that I have found that I can do um, is to offer my life and sacrifice to him. And I've done that. And, it, and by doing that, I've become one of his children, not a servant of God, which is also mentioned in Scripture, but a child of God. And that is a beautiful, beautiful opportunity. Um, and by being his child, he gives me the gift of his power, the Holy Spirit. And this power... 
I mean, I can do all kinds of things, but the, the biggest thing that it allows me is it changes my perspective on life, and it allows me to see my life both individually and in the big scheme of things, hopefully from his perspective, from God's view. And the Holy Spirit doesn't only change your perspective to see things from God's perspective, but it also gives me the strength to rise above the fleshly tendencies and hopefully deal with my daily struggles and my daily experiences in a more God-like way. So knowing who God is and what his character is, um, it, it allows me to filter out error. Um, so many people blame things on him that are no part of his character. I know that because I've read the Bible multiple times because I study the Bible and I know. So when something like that comes up, I can say if this doesn't fit with what I know about his character in the entire Bible, not just one verse that someone's pulling out, then it can't possibly be true, and I better keep looking for another explanation. And obviously I could go on all night, but you guys are doing a great job on the program. Well, well thank you so much, Vic. We truly appreciate uh, your words of wisdom. Oh, I, I, th- thanks. All right, Vic, thanks a lot. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Take Lord care. Bless. You too. All right, so so John, boy, uh, Vic, do you have something to say? I mean, geez, <laughs> could you be specific or something? <laughs> God is love, God is light, and that makes Vicky comfortable. You can see God's love if you study the scriptures, because the scriptures are God's mind revealed to us as human beings in a way that we can understand it. So, Vicky, thanks so much for your input on that. Lots and lots and lots to think about. Really appreciate it. Uh, so, Jonathan, let's go to the other side of the spectrum. You know, Vicky was just literally gushing about the greatness of God and and God's love. Well, let's go back to our scathing atheist who this this soundbite had to be censored uh, because he got a little bit too vile for our liking. But we wanted to put this out here because we want to be honest in, in our discussion about who is God. Is God the dude that shows up in the Garden of Eden in Genesis, or is he the guy that nobody can survive seeing from Exodus? Or is he the disembodied spirit they talk about in the Gospels? Is he the all-knowing guy from Jeremiah and Acts, or is he the bumbling idiot from Genesis and Numbers? Is he the hard-to-anger guy they sing about in Exodus, or is he the unjust, wrathful bully that was killing people for no reason right before they started singing about it? And if he's all-powerful, why does he need Moses to do everything? If he's all-loving, why is he such a fool to virtually everyone he encounters? If he's all-knowing, why do people have to keep reminding him of it? If he's moral, why does he champion slavery? If he's caring, why does Moses have to keep talking about killing people? And Jonathan, I'll tell you what, if I had the time, I would love to take each one of those statements and deal with it because they are misrepresentations, they are conclusions that do not belong, they are, they are rantings uh, that, that have no basis because they don't understand the reality. And in several programs before this, we've actually dealt with many, many, many of those, uh, those questions. We yeah. have. But anyway, we've got to move forward here. We have uh, not a lot of time left in this segment already. So, so God's power. We talked about God's power last segment. Could not be wielded for our ultimate goal without God's justice driving it. Power is, is dangerous without justice. Psalm 89. Uh, let's actually just read verse 14. Okay. Verse 14. There we go. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. 
Loving kindness and truth go before you. All right. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of God's throne. It gives you a sense that with all that great power, there's righteousness and justice that are the foundation of how the power operates. And boy, I'll tell you, that's comforting. Now let's go to our our theme chapter, Psalm 90, verses 7 through 12. Let's go to just verse 7 and 8 right now. For we have been consumed by your anger and by your wrath. We have been dismayed. You have placed our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. So here, this is, is focusing us toward God's justice, the light of God's presence. You know, Vicki mentioned a scripture that said God is light. God's justice is not the arbitrary justice that we witness from the gods of mythology who were fashioned in the likeness of imperfect men. God's justice is clear, it is precise, and it is righteous on a level that is so much higher than we can even fathom. Romans 5, verses 12 to 14. Again, it's about God's justice as the, as the, the, the governor, if you will, of his great power. Therefore, justice through one man's sin entered into the world, and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world. But sin is now imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam, who was a type of him who was to come. So the bottom line of that verse, Jonathan, is therefore one man sinned, and sin enters the world. One man needs to take it away. Jesus for Adam. That's justice. That's simple justice. Atonement for that one man is what was needed. That's what was needed. That's what was given. And people say, well, okay, okay, you're saying one man sinned. What about Eve? She sinned. You're right, she did. But Eve was deceived. So God in his mercy took Adam who chose sin rather than being deceived into it and held him ultimately responsible and that was canceled by Jesus. So God's justice is very, very simple. And Jonathan, I want to go back to another soundbite here. Well, you know what? Maybe we better skip that for in the interest of time. Ah, no, let's not skip it. Let's go to it. It's the kids. It's the kids talking about what does God look like, and I apologize for the background noise on this, but it really is precious to hear children describing what they think God looks like. Do you think God is real? What do you think he looks like? Uh, right here. (laughs) What do you think God looks like? A person, probably. I'm pretty sure he has brown hair, and it's kind of long. What do you think he looks like? Mm, Long hair. I think I know now. Okay, what do you think God looks like? So, in the eyes of a child, God has long hair. (laughs) That seems to be the thing that keeps coming out. Sometimes white, sometimes brown. (laughs) Right, sometimes white, sometimes brown. The bottom line is, from a child's perspective, you know, how do you visualize something so grand and so mighty? We we personalize it. They said God is like a father. So, they personalize it like their dad, you know, but somebody much older. 
You know, <laughs> so it, it really is. It's a wonderful thing to hear children try to describe something that is so, like Vicky said, so loving, so light, so pure, and in this segment, so just. And having all that power funneled through justice is such a, a, a comforting thought. Back to Psalm 90, verses 9 and 10. For all our days have declined in your fury. We have finished our years like a sigh. As for the days of our life, they contain 70 years, or if deuced to strength, 80 years. Yet their pride is but labor and sorrow, for soon it is gone and we fly away. So the average age span from our history how did he know? Yeah, <laughs> about that. <laughs> 70 or 80 years. Uh, you know, but again, it's, there's death. Death comes. There's nothing we can do about the sentence of death except wait for it to catch up with us. I mean, really, that's all we can do. Uh, and again, let's go back to Romans 5, uh, verses 15 and 16. But Jonathan, just, just the bold part, because we're, we're really short on time here. For if by the transgression of the one, the many died, the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to the many. See, there's the justice. One man for one man. On the one hand, the judgment arose from one transgression, resulting in condemnation. The free gift arose from many transgressions, resulting in justification. So our days and our lives are futile. Death will come. God's justice, though, opens the door for hope by a perfect payment for sin to atone for the perfect man who originally sinned. So God's power puts this plan in place, and God's justice makes it happen, and the price had to be paid. And the price was Jesus. And that was perfect justice, driven by God's power. Back to uh, Psalm chapter 90, verses 11 and 12. Who understands the power of your anger and your fury? according to the fear that is due you. So teach us to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. Okay, so again, teach us to number our days because of the justice of God. Romans five seventeen to 19. For if by the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. See, now this verse fulfills the verse 12 of the psalm about teaching us to number our days. Go ahead, 18 and 19. So then, as through one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men, even so through one act of righteousness there resulted justification of life to all men. For as through the one man's disobedience the many... And that means the all... ...were made sinners, even so through the obedience of the one the many... That means all... ...will be made righteous. So... All die in Adam. Therefore, by God's justice, all are given the opportunity for life through Christ. You know, and that is what this is really about. We talked about God's power as being so awesome and raw and mighty, we can't even fathom it. But with that power, there's God's justice. And God's justice channels that power so it can do things in a way that is simple, in a way that is right. In the second hour, we're going to look at the other two major attributes of God revealed to us in Scripture. They're going to show us just how well-rounded and mighty and honorable the true God is, the God of Scripture. For Jonathan, Rick, and Christian Questions, we'll be back in just about two minutes. So until then, the question, who is God? The answer, the answer is breathtaking. We'll be back soon. Think about it.
It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. You're tuned into Christian Questions. Join the conversation now on air or online at ChristianQuestions.com and download our app by searching for Christian Questions Radio. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Harry Emerson Fosdick once said, I love this quote, God is not a cosmic bellboy for whom we can press a button to get things. <laughs> Good evening. Welcome back. I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. And Jonathan, what is the topic on the table this evening? Well, Rick, it's a big one. Who is God? And our theme text is found in Psalms chapter 90, verse 2. Before the mountains were born, or you gave birth to the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. So there's a, there's a greatness in that particular verse. Uh, we're actually using the 90th Psalm as kind of a, a basis for our, um, our conversation this evening as we try to understand in, in a very, very limited way just who God is. And, and, and again, Jonathan, this is such a big subject. It's impossible, impossible. Did I mention that it's impossible? I think you did once or so. <laughs> <laughs> to get your arms around who God is, especially in just a couple of hours of, of conversation. Well, so, Rick, the first hour we talked about Satan, and he is not God's opposite. Right. He, Clearly. He, there is not a war in heaven, God against Satan. What it is, yeah. is Satan is fighting away, and God is just letting him do it. Come the time, Satan will get squashed like a bug, because that's what will happen. It's simple. God is not fighting with Satan. He's allowing Satan to fight and think he's got control. And we found that God's power was unlimited. Big, massive, raw power beyond anything that we can ever imagine. And his justice is short. And so when you put power out there without justice, it's dangerous. So power and justice need to be able to work together. What makes these things work in tandem with God's grace? There's more to it, and we're going to get to that in a moment. But first, let's go back, just because it's so much fun. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> let's go back to our scathing atheist in another censored rant about uh, who God is, or in his case, you know, all of the nonsense that people like us speak when we talk about God. Of course, these Christians that are so quick to define God don't know what the Bible says because they've never read it. If you press them, they'll often claim that they've read most of it, but then you start quizzing them and it turns out that they don't know there's a talking donkey in the fourth book. How much could you have possibly read? That's the fourth book. That's like saying I've seen most of the movie, but I missed the parts after the opening credits. If I believed a book to be inspired by the all-knowing creator of the universe, let alone directly revealed by him, I'd know that by heart, but these dingbats, even the literal words of the Bible guys, can't be bothered to crack it open. And I don't think it's because they're too lazy either. I'm willing to bet that many, if not most of them, started it at some point. And I don't think they turned away because of the genealogies or the archaic language or the repetition or the bulk. I think they met their God and he scared of them. I think they turned away because they started to realize that the more they knew about their religion, the harder it was going to be to believe. Did he call us dingbats? He did. <laughs> just, just, <laughs> I heard it. Just checking. Just check. And again, Jonathan, you know, for, for you and I, for many of our listeners, you listen to that, and it's really kind of sad. 
because what this guy is saying is he, he's, he's speaking out of ignorance. He really does not know what he's talking about when it comes to Scripture. He's, he's doing what Vicky was suggesting. He's picking out a Scripture here and a Scripture there and saying, well, I bet you don't know this about God. I bet you don't know that. I bet you don't know this. And the answer is actually, yeah, we do know that about Scripture. What you don't know is how to put it in the context where it belongs. And if you could slow down enough and take a breath enough and open your mind enough, maybe... You could see something of great value in that book that you just want to tear apart. Anyway, enough of that. <laughs> so that's enough of the, uh, the, uh, the uh, scathing atheist for, for tonight. Yay. <laughs> so, so we had God's power. Right. We have God's justice. Well, mm-hmm. now we've got to, we, we temper it further because the next attribute is God's love. God's love is magnificent because it's built upon the foundation of his justice. And it's fueled by God's power. And it shines out as the dominant characteristic of his glory. And Vicky mentioned that in, in, the, in the first hour as well. So now this segment, it's going to be about God's love. And you can't focus on God's love unless you understand God's power and his justice as well. First John chapter 4, verses 7 through 10. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this, the love of God was manifest in us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. So, God is love and has proven it to the whole human creation by sending Jesus. You know, and that's the kind of thing that people like that, that poor unfortunate atheist that we heard from, don't understand. They don't understand that there's a plan, there's a method to what looks like madness. He loved us before we could ever love him. He put a plan in place long before we were born. That's the love of God. And that plan is built on justice. And it's driven by power. Let's go back to Psalm 90, verses 13 to 15. And Psalm 90 is kind of our theme scripture, our theme chapter for tonight. Do return, O Lord, how long will it be? And be sorry for your servants. O satisfy us in the morning with your loving kindness, that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. And again, this reminds me of Vicky's comments in the first hour because it talks about satisfy with us with your loving kindness that we may sing for joy and be glad all of our days. She said, God's love makes her comfortable. And there's Mm -hmm. great comfort in what this particular verse is saying. God's love is also manifest in his attention to satisfying the needs of those who seek him. And that's important. Now, why does God only satisfy the needs or take care of the needs of those who are seeking him? Because... Everybody else doesn't really care. <laughs> <laughs> so true. <laughs> or they're trying to be, they're trying to be um, God themselves by controlling what God does, what God says, and what God thinks. And that just does not fit. That does not fit into the plan of God. It's about him. It really shouldn't be about us. So, um, Jonathan, we, uh, let, let's go to uh, 1 John chapter 4. Uh, verses 11 to 14, and, and again, God's love is manifest by the attention that he pays to those who are seeking, uh, seeking him. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. 
No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. We have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. See, now this is important here, because what this is saying is we've been given God's spirit. What is God's spirit? It's his power and his influence. And with that power and influence, remember the first attribute we talked about was God's, just, uh, God's power. Well, when you think about it, if you're given the Spirit, you're given God's power in your life. Jonathan, let's go to the phones. We have Julius from Connecticut on the line. Good evening, Julius, and welcome to Christian Questions. Good evening. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I'm, uh, I was so impressed by Vicky's uh, enthusiasm. Yeah, that's and right. Scripture. You know, beautiful scriptures. Yeah, appreciated that. Uh, yes, uh, our loving Heavenly Father, uh, the creator of the universe, beyond comprehension. Uh, uh, you know, the, our astronauts, you know, they've made uh, several trips into space. And uh, I think John Glenn, I, there's a quote by him, he says, uh, being up here and seeing what we see says it is impossible not to believe in God. <laughs> and you know, uh, uh, King David, thousands of years ago, he said uh, pretty much the same thing. He says, the heavens declare the glory of God. So uh, I, what, uh, what testimonies? Uh, I would like to share a, a, a cute story with you very quickly here. Okay. Uh, a kindergarten teacher was observing her classroom of children. The teacher was observing her classroom of children. While they were drawing, she would occasionally walk around to see each child's work in, while they were drawing. As she got to one little girl who was working diligently, she asked what the drawing was. The girl replied, I'm drawing God. The teacher, <laughs> the teacher paused and said, but no one knows what God looks like. And without missing a beat or looking up from her drawing, the little girl replied, there will in a minute. <laughs> God bless. Thank you. Thank you, Julius. Appreciate your call. <laughs> that was great. That was a great little thing. <laughs> uh, so... <laughs> um, so, Jonathan, good good comments by Julius. It just puts things in, in perspective, especially, again, from the, the standpoint of a child. But, you know, you're right. The, the, the idea of being out there in space and looking back at the Earth and realizing all of the civilization and all of the things that go on, you think, there's got to be more to this than just mere chance, mere happenstance, mere roll of some major dice here, there, or anywhere. Um, and just one quick thought, Jonathan, before we go on to anything else, from that First John 4, 11 to 14 scripture that you just read before Julius's call, you know, we talked about we're given God's spirit and that's his power. But the other way that we can understand God's love is to reflect that love to one another. And that's really the main point of that particular scripture. And that's what he's trying to teach his his human family, isn't it? And if we would only listen to the lesson, for goodness sake... Maybe things could get better. We welcome all comments or questions, even if you disagree with us. Give us a call. We're live at 866-985-FOR-ALL. That's 
985-485-4255. All right, so we're looking at Psalm 90, verses 13 to 15. This segment is focusing on the love of God. And remember, God's power is massive. God's justice is true. It's sure. God's love grows out of that power and out of that justice. And it's God's love that drives so much of his plan. But God is not just love. And that's the important thing. If you don't have the power and you don't have the justice, you're not completing the picture of this incredibly benevolent God of ours. So now we're at Psalm uh, chapter 90. Let's go to verse 15. Make us glad according to the days you have afflicted us and the years we have seen evil. So again, the theme in these verses is the psalmist is asking, make us glad because, make us glad because you are who you are, because your plan is the way your plan is. God's love does make us glad within the context of our trials and shortcomings. And you think, who, wait a minute, who wants to be glad in the middle of the trial? Don't you want to complain? (laughs) (laughs) Don't you want to be bent out of shape? You see, most of us really don't want to be, but we don't know how else to be. So we need the formula of God's love to be transforming us in those difficult times in our lives. And the formula, I think, begins, uh, part of it anyway, in Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we exult in hope of the glory of God. So we've been justified by faith. And we can exalt in the hope of the glory of God. Now, hope is about something in the future. Yes. So, trial now, hope for the future. Go ahead. But I love the peace that the Lord gives us because of his love and the grace. We don't deserve it, that love, but he gives it anyway. Yeah. You know, we got got an app comment in, which is really kind of cool. It says, all I have seen teaches me to trust the creator for all I have not seen. Oh, that's beautiful. So, again, it's, it's a, it is about God's love. Let's continue with Romans 5, verses 3 to 5. And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulations bring about perseverance, and perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit, which was given to us. So you have all this formula that says, okay, we exult in tribulation because it brings perseverance, which brings character, which brings hope, and hope is not disappointing. Why? Because of God's love. Because of love. Right. It's because of God's love. And again, God's love is not just this emotional, sloppy, slurpy kind of love. It is benevolent. It is powerful. It is just. And it is wise. And it's selfless. Yeah. You know, giving without expecting to receive in return. So, so, so God's love opens the door to his grace and his hope. With all of these opportunities before us, we can truly begin to exalt in tribulation. And you say, well, again, how do you do that? Go back to Romans 5, 1 to 5. Because God's love is present in our tribulations as well. If we could just get that, that it's his love that drives us through the tribulation and the trial because... It's there for our growth. And if we look to Jesus and all that he suffered and went through through trial, and he was found faithful and pleasing to our Heavenly Father, we want to follow that example and be like Jesus. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and Jesus is the best example of God's love 
shown to us. So God's love is fully expressed in the love of Jesus. Let's go to that next, Romans 8, 35 to 39. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Okay, so you're starting with the love of Christ. Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword, just as it is written, for your sake, we are being put to death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Okay, so who can separate us from the love of Christ? You've got this, this, this love of Christ being focused on. And now it's going to take the next step above that. So verses 37 to 39, 30, verses 35 and 36, we're about the love of Christ, and we should be like him. Now 37 to 39 is going to bring us to the next level, the love of God. But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So it's interesting. Separating us from the love of Christ is, are the, the things of the earth. What can separate us from the love of Christ? These things of the earth. What can separate us from the love of God? It's things that are heavenly, that are bigger and more powerful. Either way, Jonathan, we can be safe in God's love through Christ. Because of this full expression of God's love, we can choose to be inseparable from him. And that is a powerful, powerful thought. That's the power and the justice of God's love. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject, who is God? coming up. So how does God keep his power, justice, and love all perfectly working together and balanced? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. See videos, hear past shows, and talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Welcome back. We're live Monday evening from 8 to 10 Eastern, and that means we're on right now. Join our conversation by calling 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-FOR-ALL, or you can message us on your app. Out from the dark ages and into the light of today, join us 24-7 at ChristianQuestions.com. Okay, so Jonathan, we have gone through the attributes of power, justice, and love and the question you asked at the end of the last segment is, all right, how does God keep that power, justice, and love all perfectly working together and all perfectly balanced? Well, there's one other major attribute that needs to be added to this. What is it? It's wisdom. God's wisdom. And, and before we get into describing his wisdom, we got a comment in from, from the uh, chat board. Uh, it said, the prophet Isaiah said, Verily thou art a God that hidest himself, O God of Israel. That's Isaiah 45.15. And it says, if you have a chance, please discuss the wisdom of why God hides himself. And that is a great question, came in exactly at the right time. <laughs> it certainly did. Because there is a wisdom to God being hard to find in our world. And you think, wait a minute, that makes no logical sense. And it doesn't, if you're just looking at it here and now from today. But when you step back and see it from the standpoint of eternity and a plan, it makes amazing sense. And, and we'll give more of an answer as we go through this segment. But here's the thing, Jonathan. God is the epitome 
of wisdom applied. His wisdom drives his plan and provides a basis for the perfect application of his power, his justice, and his love. So, wisdom provides a basis for his power, justice, and love. Conversely, his power, justice, and love provide opportunities for his wisdom to be applied and emulated. So, you take these four basic, very basic attributes of God, and you can mix and match them any way you want. They balance one another perfectly because God has the eternity and power of his, of, of his very being behind it all. So let's take a look at Romans eleven thirty three to 36. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. And you know what, Jonathan, just read that verse again. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. Amen to that. I mean, you can't even begin to grasp it. It's so incredibly deep. Go ahead. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who became his counselor or who has first given to him that I might be paid back to him again? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. And, and you know, it, it's really amazing that, you know, we, we're, we, we put these four attributes in the order that we put them because Psalm 90 sort of showed them to us this way. And it's interesting that we end up with wisdom because usually you think, okay, you want to end up with God's love. But see, God's love, empower, God's, wisdom, God's love, rather, is empowered by God's wisdom. God's love is so much more uh, everlasting. It's so much more uh, meaningful because of the wisdom of God. God's wisdom is lofty, it's broad, and it's exacting. Merely, merely trying to observe his wisdom is going to bring enlightenment. That's right. It, it's going to help you expand your mind beyond what you normally could have seen uh, before that. Let's go back to... Um, the Truth Project.cc, Who is God? We started the program with a soundbite from these guys. Uh, and again, asking the question, Who is God? And trying to pinpoint the sense of what it feels like to try to understand uh, the very nature of who God is. Part of the very nature of God is that He is beyond understanding. He is too big and too complex for a human to ever comprehend fully. We don't have the capacity to fathom all of who God is. Although we will never know everything about who God is, He allows us to see the parts of Him that really matter. God is all-powerful, all-knowing, and always present. He is huge. He is bigger than we can imagine, and yet He is personal. This God that created the stars, the planets, and set the galaxies in motion, He created you. That's pretty amazing. You know, the, the, the same God that created all of the vastness of the universe and put it all in motion created hum, humanity. It just gives you a sense of, man, this is, how, it doesn't get better than that, and yet the world is a mess. 
The world is crumbling right before our very eyes. And we're sitting here saying, look how great God is. Well, why do we say that when the world is crumbling? And that's part of the question that came in about you know, the, the wisdom of God. Why would God hide himself if we need him so desperately right now? Let's go back to Psalm 90, verses 16 and 17, to try to format an answer to that question. Let your work appear to your servants and your majesty to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and confirm for us the work of our hands. Yes, confirm the work of our hands. So let's try and trace the basics of God's wisdom in his plan. All right. You know, and, and that verse started out, let your work appear to your servants. If, if God allows his work to appear, he's no longer hidden. But it says, let your work appear to your servants, not to every man. So you've got to say, well, why to only a few, if any at all? Well, let's, let's take a look at this. Remember, we, at the beginning of the program, we were talking about you know, Satan and sin and, and mankind sins. Man sins and consequences for all are needed as a result, because now we're all inheriting that original sin. God in his wisdom planted the seeds of the rebuilding process in the first proclamation of consequences. And we touched on this scripture earlier, Jonathan, but we need to come back to it. Genesis 3.15. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. That is a deep and powerful promise of salvation, though it doesn't look like it. It sounds like gibberish almost if you don't know what you're reading. You know, it's like, well, what are you talking about? Bruising somebody's heel and somebody's head, so what? There is a great prophecy, though, of redemption given right at the beginning when the consequences were laid out for sin. That's right. So, and God's plan is going to solve the sin and death condition. So the, uh, the, the, the important thing is that there is something to look forward to. And if it's something that you're looking forward to, um, uh, that means that it's, it's got to be something that hasn't happened yet, but will. So God is hiding, he's hiding his, his, um, his, his plan for most because it's not time yet. And then you say, okay, well, why wouldn't it be time? Let's go to uh, Genesis chapter 22, verses 15 to 18 in terms of looking at this, this promise that was given uh, right at the beginning when sin first entered. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, indeed I will greatly bless you and I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heavens and as the sand which is on the seashore, and your seed shall possess the gate of their enemies. And in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So you have God promising Abraham something very, very special. In the middle of a sinful world, even way back then, the promise of God comes to Abraham. And it's a promise that says, hey, there's blessing coming. And there's not just blessing coming for you. By the way, you're very, very obedient and you're being rewarded for that. But there's blessing com coming for your children. But there's not just blessing coming for your children, but there's blessing coming through your children for all the other children of earth. All the nations of the earth will be blessed through them. So, okay, if such blessing is coming, then why does God hide himself? And the answer is 
that for us to truly, as the human race, to truly and eternally appreciate the goodness of God, to appreciate his power, his justice, his love, and his wisdom, we need to understand what it's like to live without him. We need to understand the consequences of making that choice that Adam made, that same choice that Satan made as Lucifer, to do it your own way. And to realize that when you have those consequences in place, only death and destruction will follow. The only way to life is through God. So God allows sin to reign. He allows Satan to appear to be really powerful, and he allows Satan to even look like he can beat up God. Now we know he can't, but he allows that so that we can get the full import of the dastardly effects of sin and death. So once God decides to reveal himself fully, it will be magnificent. Rick, God is the God of eternity. Yeah. And he, he understood what humankind and the angelic realm needed to go through to learn the greatest lesson for eternity. So he hides himself so that when he is revealed, he will be revered. Amen. If he was revealed throughout all of this time, it would just for 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 those who are not seeking God, it would be just like okay, you know everything is great, God's right there, no problem. You have to realize what it's like without God. He allows the world to 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 work this way. So in that Genesis twenty-two uh, verse, Jonathan, you, that you just read, in your seed all the nations of the earth will be blessed. That's a powerful, wise promise, and it's again, it's say okay. The seed, through the seed. Well, what's the seed? Well, the seed would be Isaac. Yep, then Jacob. And then Jacob. And then what's going to happen to Jacob? His name was changed to Israel. All right. He became the 12 tribes of Israel. So Jacob's name is changed to Israel. He has 12 sons that become right. the 12 tribes of Israel. So you see the seed was given to Abraham and now blossoms into a nation. Okay, it blossoms into this nation and this nation now would carry that promised seed until the actual promised seed arrived. You say, well, where did it arrive? Wasn't, wasn't Isaac the promised seed? Yes. Wasn't Jacob the promised seed? Yes. <laughs> and you say, but but where, did, where did the centerpiece of the promised seed arrive? Let's go to Galatians, New Testament now. Galatians chapter 3, verse 16. Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say, and to seeds, as referring to many, but rather to one, and to your seed, that is Christ. So he, in Galatians, the Apostle Paul makes it really simple. Okay, in, in your seed will all the families of the earth be blessed. The Apostle says, make no mistake, he's talking about Jesus. That's right. Everything beforehand was leading us to that point. That point, that birth, that life, that sacrifice, that death, and that resurrection. Because that paid the price for Adam. So you have all the waiting and the silence and the quietness of God in behind, working with his nation Israel, and then Jesus coming on the scene, being rejected by his own people, and giving his life as that sacrifice. And now you have the beauty of this, the, the, the plan being shown to be in process, but God still is not yet revealed. 
He's still not yet revealed. Folks, if you have a thought, it's 866-985-4255. Toll free, 866-985-4ALL. We are live Monday evenings from 8 to 10 Eastern, and that means we're on right now. Rick, God's wisdom didn't stop with um, just the nation of Israel. Blessings were given and opportunity to the Gentiles also. So God's wisdom continues, and, and, and you know, this, is, this is the way it actually works. It's an ever-expanding wisdom from, from our standpoint. When we sit here and we try to figure it out, all we see is it grows bigger and bigger and bigger. Let's go to Galatians chapter 3 again. Because remember, Galatians 3.16 revealed the seed is Jesus. Now we jump down to verses 28 and 29. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free man. There's neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to the promise. So for those who decide to truly follow Christ... The promise is that you now inherit what the promise to Abraham was. Now, you're not even Jewish by descent. But if you are Christ, then you are heirs according to the promise. And when it says you're heirs according to the promise, so, so what is it that you inherit? I mean, do you inherit a treasure chest of gold and silver? Do you inherit jewels? Do you, do you inherit great clothing, a, a comfortable life, a great house? Genesis 22:18 told us, Rick, in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. So, okay, so what, but, but let, let, let's, let's clarify it even further. What do you inherit? Let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 and 19. Now, all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. So now let's see if we can get our arms around this. We inherit the promise, and in the promise, like you were saying, Jonathan, all the families of the earth will be blessed. How will they be blessed? And Rick, that word reconciliation, to reconcile, means to bring into agreement or harmony or make compatible. So the way that the promise to Abraham is fulfilled is twofold. You have earthly Jewish nation, which is a blesser nation. We're not going to touch on that right this moment. But you have the heavenly seed, if you will, of Abraham that is given the ministry of reconciliation. The ministry, the responsibility of making the world compatible with God again. How do we do that? Well, we've been given the word of reconciliation, which is the Bible, which is the scriptures, which is the gospel, which is the life of Jesus. So God's wisdom took the love that he expressed through the, the sacrifice of Jesus, which fulfilled the justice that was required so God could move through this, which was all generated by God's power to make it all happen. And being given this ministry of reconciliation, where by God's wisdom, we're given a part in bringing the world back to God. Now, What a privilege. It's a privilege. And you know, the thing is, Jonathan, it doesn't happen now. Because God is still hidden right now, but it's going to happen. 
and it's not going to be too, too long before it actually comes around. The ministry of reconciliation is the blessing of the wisdom of God for us. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject is, Who is God? Coming up, how has God shown us who he is through recorded history? That's next. Listening to Christian Questions. See videos, hear past shows, and talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Welcome back. Our subject for today Who is God? We're live Monday evening from 8 to 10 Eastern, and that means we're on right now. Join our conversation by calling 866 985 4255. That's 866 985 for all, or you can message us on your app. And sign up for CQ Rewind, hit the newsletter sign-up tab, and register for our Insider CQ Rewind outline and our Insider Weekly Material. And boy, I tell you, the uh, CQ Rewind document is such a great, great, great tool uh, if if you want to avail yourself to try it out. And look, it's a free service. You can try it. If you don't like it, you can unsubscribe with the click of a button and nobody will bother you. It just puts the scriptures and the commentary on paper or digital paper, if you will, with graphics and illustrations. It makes it so real. And a subject like this, subject like this you want it to be made very real inside your, your head so it can trickle down into that heart of yours and live there. Because, you know, trying to figure out who God is is a lifetime endeavor. It's a lifetime endeavor, and we are just barely scratching the surface. There's a great quote here, Jonathan, by Isaac Bashivas Singer. What is it? Life is God's novel. Let him write it. <laughs> and, you know, if we could see that and expand that to say history is God's novel, let him write it. Let him finish it. We're in the middle of the book, and we think we know so much. You should see the chapters to come. You know, oh, amazing. <laughs> and that's really what we're going to begin looking at. Okay, we, we, we've walked through the 90th Psalm and established God's attributes of power, justice, love, and wisdom. And now we look at what these things actually are going to mean to us. See, God's character is one of eternal integrity. Eternal integrity. And this can only be seen if we examine Scripture carefully and comprehensively. And I go back to our scathing atheist friend earlier uh, in the program, and he's just rattling off all, these, all of these generalizations and these inconsistencies. And if you could reel it in enough and put them in order, there's an explanation. And, you know, and Jonathan, some of the explanation is certainly not comfortable, but it, there is an explanation. But when you put it in the context of the big, big, big picture, boy, does it all make sense. It certainly does. And it's all comforting when you see it in the, in, the, in the pathway of the biggest picture. So the integrity, the eternal integrity of God is something we need to, to take a, a few minutes on here. Let's go to Isaiah 46, verses 8 through 10 for that. Remember this and be assured. Recall it to mind. You transgressors, remember the former things long past, for I am God and there is no other. I am God, and there is no one like me, declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times, things which I have not, be, have not been done, saying, 
my purpose will be established, and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. So God is saying that, look, I declare the end from the beginning, and from ancient times, things which have not been done, saying, look, my purpose will be established. You may not understand my purpose right now. You, my scathing atheist creation, may not get why I don't reveal myself to you at this moment. But you will. You will at some point in the future. And you will see the grandness of what my plan was. And, you know, John, Jonathan, when I, when I think of the, the, the greatness of God's plan, I think of, uh, of it as a jaw-dropping experience. Yeah. Th- there will be no words. People right. will not know what to do. Yeah. They'll be amazed. You sit there with your mouth open going, what? No way. Can that really be? See, we'd love for that to happen right now. But it's, it's not time yet. And that's the point. That, that's exactly the point. See, the key to understanding who God is, is to understand what God's timing is all about. Because we want the answer right now. Because I live in that finite life of 70 or 80 years that we talked about before. And I want to know here and now. I deserve to know here and now. So I'm just going to stand here and wait and God better answer me. God does not work like that. God's timing always takes longer than we want it to. Even when things get really, really bad and we think we need the answer right this second. I mean, several individuals in Scripture had that very same experience. That's right. Habakkuk was seeing the Chaldeans overrun the people and he's saying to God hey God hello are you there have you seen what's happening here there has never been evil like I'm looking at why don't you do something God answers the prophet and here's how he answers him Habakkuk chapter 2 verses 2 and 3 then the Lord answered me and said record the vision and inscribe it on tablets that the one who reads it may run for the vision is yet for the appointed time it hastens toward the goal, and it will not fail. Though it tarries, wait for it, for it will certainly come. It will not delay. So, though it tarries, though it takes a long time, wait for it, because it certainly will come. But you know what? It's not going to come when you want it to. It just isn't, because God is bigger than what I want. He's bigger than what you want. Now, maybe he's not bigger than what both of us want. Of course he is. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the point is, there, there's such a bigness to God. We have got to realize that we, we've got to agree to wait for his timing and not look to our own. Rick, sin has got to run its course. Right. It's got to be allowed to finish. It's got to be allowed to grow and grow and grow and get so out of control that nobody in their right mind, would want to ever go back to that. You got it. Uh, Jonathan, just a quick uh, comment from the CQ app. Uh, uh, listener says, I needed this topic in the humdrum of every day. Sometimes I forget who I am and who I belong to. I am a child of the king of the universe. That is definitely not humdrum. Thank you for reminding me. Awesome comment. And that's from our, our dear friend Beth in Tennessee. Beth! I miss you. All right. <laughs> so, Jonathan, just to, to put things in perspective, um, you know, I want to, we, we took some time when we listened to the scathing atheist, you know, and his, his rattling on about the, the ridiculousness of Christianity. Let's go to the other extreme. Let's go to, let's do some music here. This is from godisreal.info, uh, and it's a, it's a song, I think it's called Names of God. 
I couldn't find too much more on it, but we're just going to go through the first verse of this particular song. And Jonathan, as we do, what we want to think about is we want to think about the greatness of God, the sovereignty of God, and be reverent as we sit here and we, and we, and we focus on and meditate on what God is to us and the world. Rick, that was sung by Laurel Hubick. Oh, thanks. Thanks for that. I uh, was not able to find that. Um, but, you know, Jonathan, it puts, it puts what we've been talking about into a, into a larger perspective. And, and one day soon we're going to do a program just trying to focus on the names for God given in the scriptures, because especially in the Old Testament, he's described by his names and it's magnificent. We chose this evening to try to describe God by these attributes, these four very basic attributes of power, justice, love, and wisdom. To try and to, how they work together right. is so beautiful. It's a tapestry of the joining of these four elements into this incredible plan by this incredible creator with this incredible power and this incredible mind and this incredible creativity, which is capped off by his incredible, incredible love. You know, the, the, the scripture in Habakkuk was talking about record the vision. What we've attempted to do here, especially at the end of the program, is to, is to give a sense that there's a vision to a much, much greater plan that God is hidden right now and that most people cannot see. But if you look carefully into Scripture, it is revealed. If you're willing to be humble enough to learn of the Scriptures, rather than dictate to the Scriptures, rather than to try to twist them so, so they can serve what I want, let me twist myself to serve what God wants and what God wills, and let's find the answer of God's plan. And Jonathan, our final Scripture we're going to take, uh, break it down into pieces for the rest of the program. It is Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 4. And this really gives us a sense of the culmination of who God is. This, you can tell who God is by what he plans for us. That speaks volumes. You can tell a, a, about a father taking care of their children by how he cares for his children. We are God's children. And even though the world is sinful and wrecked and imperfect and messed up, God loves us. 
This is what the vision looks like. Revelation 21, let's take, start with verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. Now, first thing, and, and you know, this is not the program to go into the technicalities, but a new heaven and a new earth doesn't mean that there's some other planet somewhere. No, it's a renewed heaven, renewed earth. Right. The a first, new order. Right. So the, 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 the heaven is symbolic of government, okay? The earth is symbolic of social order. The sea, remember the restless sea in Scripture, is symbolic of the restlessness of imperfect humanity. So it's saying that there's going to be a new world government, a new social order, and the restlessness of imperfect humanity is going to be drained away. Yay, because of... <laughs> Peace and harmony. Because the wise, powerful, just, and loving plan of God has designed it to be so. We just have to go through all the painful processes to get there. So Revelation 21 verse 1 says, okay, it's all going to be, like you said, renewed. Something bigger, something better, but right there where you are. Verse 2. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. So, now, is, is there going to be a city that just gets teleported down from heaven? <laughs> no. No, 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 no. This new system, this new government, this new social order will be implemented through the faithful, true church. For That's their... the bride adorned for her husband, Jesus. Right. So, their call was to the ministry of reconciliation... So they are represented by this new Jerusalem coming down from heaven. Having been faithful, having been raised to heavenly glory with Jesus. You know, going to heaven is not like, okay, I'm here, where's my cloud? No. It's, okay, by God's grace I'm here, where's my work? What am I supposed to do? And the major job of the true church in the future is reconciliation of the earth, reconciliation of the world, of the billions of people who've ever lived. So this, this system is going to come down and that New Jerusalem is representing the true church. Verse 3 of Revelation chapter 21. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people. And God himself will be among them. This is a powerful... Look, these are all powerful verses, I know, but... So he's going to be seen. Yes. Here it is, revealed. Right. Yay! Finally, after all that time of God operating in the shadows, in behind, and being hidden, it says, he will be among them. When was the last time he was among men this way? Well, Rick, it was in the garden with Adam. It is to restore that which was lost. The perfection of the garden, the perfection of Adam, and the presence of God. I mean, think about that, Jonathan. And the curse taken away. Right, right. So, so this plan of restoration will truly be a plan that restores what was lost. Man in God's image, truly in God's image, and mankind as sons of God. I mean, think of the glory of a life that works that way. And so, so when you have God among us, what happens? Revelation 21, 4. 
and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no longer any death. There will be no longer any mourning or crying or pain, for the first things have passed away. So God, uh, God's hand will again be directly upon his entire human family. And all of the life-giving, love-driven arrangements that, ha- that he made in the beginning will again be available and showered upon all men. That's what the promise is. That's who God is. That's his plan. And finally, Revelation 22, verses 1 and 2. Then he showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb, in the middle of its street. On either side the river was the tree of life, bearing twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. So it's interesting, because remember in the garden there was a tree of life. There was. And, you know, so there, there was just Adam and Eve and that tree of life. Now, well, if you've got a few billion people, you need a few more trees. Yes. <laughs> so you have, so, so God's plan puts in place trees of life. And the fruit of those trees is for the healing of the nations. So, again, when we take a look at this, when we try to back up and try to just kind of grasp what we're talking about here, We've got the four basic attributes of God. And again, folks, you know what? I want to apologize because trying to define who God is is almost a foolish endeavor. (laughs) We gave gave our very best try. But, you know, you come up so short because, again, Jonathan, let's touch on those four attributes really quickly. What was the first? Power, justice, love, and wisdom. His power is so big we can't even fathom it. His justice is, is what drives and controls his power. His love and wisdom are what temper the justice and the power. And he's formed it all into one magnificent plan. God is hidden from most people here and now. And Jonathan, what we see of God is just a mere glimpse. We're, we're, just, we're, just, we're just capturing just the slightest little, tiniest little potential glimpse that we could even imagine of who and what God is. You're right, Rick. It's beyond our comprehension. And so with that being said, what we want to do is we want to look forward. Look, so God in, in this world and in this life is really hard to see, but he is there. His heart is in the magnificence of the universe, and his signature is in the scriptures. Most fail to see the magnitude of his character because they get stuck in the details which only reveal tiny, unexplainable, and contradictory fragments of the plan that is behind it all. God's enormity enormity organizes the details, clarifies the contradictions, understands the short-sightedness of humanity. Look for him. You can find him in scripture. Look for God, and then sit back and prepare to be amazed. For Jonathan and Rick and Christian Questions, we hope you enjoyed being with us tonight. We certainly enjoyed being with you, talking about a subject that is so amazingly huge. So until next week, who is God? Think about it.